So we've come to our question box, and these are questions that many of you have submitted uh, over uh, the past week or so. Uh, that invitation has been there. It's been in multiple places. It's been on our Facebook page. It's been sent out on Wednesday. It's been in our e-news. And so these questions are from those of you who uh, chose to uh, discern and ask a question. Um, and in order to make this as random as possible, um, I'll just be rolling a dice and trying to figure, and Erica will have the, the master list of questions. And uh, if I roll the same number, Erica, you can plus one or minus one, and you can have a penalty or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you can adjust it as necessary. And so we'll begin with these questions, uh, questions that have been on your heart and mind um, here. Some of them are personal, I'm sure, about who I am as a minister, and, and some of them are about the world or Unitarian Universalism. And so I will do my best here to uh, answer them for you. And um, let's uh, try to get this going. So our first question is going to be number 19. All right, question number 19 is, what do you use think about life on other planets? Has this life visit us, visited us here on Earth? Fascinating question. Um, so what do you use think about life on other planets? And questions like these get responses that um, can be very frustrating because the, the answer is, well, you use, think a lot of things about life on other planets. Um, and as far as visiting, uh, uh, if, if we're assuming intelligent life um, visiting this planet, you use, I'm sure, have many different beliefs. Um, I would suspect that, uh, you know, assuming that a lot of Unitarian Universalists are, uh, tend, to, tend toward the rational in many ways, uh, that some of us can look at the evidence on Mars and go, yeah, there might have been uh, uh, unicellular life on Mars. Uh, there certainly could be on one of Jupiter's moons. Uh, you know, there's certainly a hypothesis around that, nothing proven. And this is a vast, wide universe. And how could there not be some form of life um, in the vastness of the universe? And that vastness does not have a set uh, dimension to it. We don't know exactly how big the universe is to down to, um, you know, the, to, to a centimeter. Um, of course, much larger scales there. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think most of you use it would go, sure, it's within the realm of possibility. Um, and many would probably uh, look to other scientists who have hypothesized about intelligent life on other planets and in other solar systems and other galaxies. Um, and um, uh, once you start going down that rabbit hole, you get some interesting um, uh, suggestions and hypotheses around that. Um, so uh, one hypothesis, and I'm blanking on the name right now, says, yeah, there should be countless intelligent civilizations. And uh, they should have uh, shown some evidence of uh, uh, coming through our solar system. Others will say, no, why would they find this little tiny solar system in some little unremarkable galaxy? Because uh, our galaxy is, while beautiful, uh, not the most remarkable one that scientists have discovered or the most unique one. Um, other scientists will say that intelligent life often uh, it leads to greenhouse effects or warfare and that they've put themselves out of existence. Now, that's all speculation, and I certainly don't have uh, a strong opinion about it. I certainly believe there's some type of unicellular life, um, and you know we've seen the fossil evidence, um, and or at least the suggestions of evidence, I think is where it is, not, not uh, clear proof, the suggestions of evidence. Um, and they've debated it, they've denounced it, and they've certainly supported it, and it's all over the place. So ask 20 UUs and you'll get 20 different opinions. Um, 
as far as things like Area 51, um, personally, I don't have much opinion on that or put much stock in that, though I'm sure there are UUs that certainly have opinions around that. All right, next question. Uh, we're off to a good start. Number 11. All right, number 11. When do, when we do return to in-person services, will you continue to live stream and do all the online stuff you've been during, doing during the pandemic? That's, that's a great one. Um, so will I continue to do the live streaming and everything I've been doing during the pandemic? And I hope the answer is no, but I hope as a community that we have um, an ever-growing team of support for ensuring that there is live streaming on our grounds in our sanctuary, um, that we continue to um, have more meetings online. Um, I'm sure when there's an all clear, we'll all be clamoring to meet in person. So that, that will probably happen for a while. We'll just be so desperate to meet people in person without masks and sanitizer and six feet apart and all of that. Um, but I would hope we would get toward a place where we prize accessibility of our meetings and of our church over the need to actually be in the building all the time. Uh, that has been one great benefit of this is that uh, people can come to our meetings no matter what. Uh, they don't have to drive 30 minutes or 40 minutes or two hours if they live um, outside of Lexington. Um, if there's um, specific accessibility concerns, um, all you have to do is uh, get on Zoom and get to the meeting and um, you know, that presents its own challenges, but it's certainly broadened the, the, the ability of people to attend and to be a part of meetings. Um, so um, it's kind of a both and answer is that we want to continue it. And uh, what we need is continued support from all of you in the congregation in order to make that happen. And that support is, is both financial and it's uh, technical support. We're going to need a different kind of technical support if we're going to do this when we're back together again, whenever that is. Uh, we're already working on plans. We're already talking about plans. We're going to be upgrading our internet. Um, so this is on the horizon. Um, and a lot of that equipment will be, will be ready. Um, we'll have people figuring out what that is. Um, but when we're back in the sanctuary, there's no way I'll be able to run that equipment. So we'll need a really good team uh, to, to make that happen and to do that in the best way possible for us. Next question, number seven. All right, number seven. What part does Buddhism play in your practices? Oh, interesting. Um, so I'd say Unitarian Universalists and certainly Unitarian Universalist ministers are able to occupy several religious spaces in their lives uh, quite comfortably. Um, we we uh, certainly draw from many religious traditions in a way that is appropriate. Um, and, um, you know, so I'm able to say, yeah, I'm a humanist. Um, I'm a religious naturalist. Um, I don't necessarily affirm a deity. I'm inspired by Christianity. Um, but my practice is increasingly Buddhist in its expression. Uh, and the word practice is really important here. Um, you know, I, I hope I don't ever deliver a sermon where I talk about Buddhist concepts that Pima Chodron wrote um, in a book. And while Pima Chodron is certainly inspiring and wonderful and lovely, um, I don't want to talk about concepts. I want to talk about how your religious beliefs and practices and my religious beliefs and practices are impacting our lives in a deep and meaningful way. Um, and so uh, I certainly skew towards Zen practice these days. Uh, 
and uh, you can probably see the Buddha behind me. <laughs> so there's a little mini Zendo set up right there. And uh, it's deeply important to me. Um, and uh, it, it certainly informs me, it sustains me, it grounds me. And um, I wanna talk about how it sustains and grounds me and inspire you to discover your own practices. Um, you know, so if we wanna talk about Zen views of karma, that sounds great, but what does it have to do with right here and right now and your life? Uh, if we wanna talk about reincarnation, whatever that means, and it's a diverse belief in the Dharmic religions, let's talk about what it means right here, right now. Um, what on earth does reincarnation mean for a non-theistic Unitarian Universalist minister? That's an interesting question, and how does it impact me? Um, so yeah, it does impact me. And um, I would also conclude with Unitarian Universalism impacts me. It's not just a matter of let's talk about the concept of our principles. Let's talk about how the principles play out in daily life. And so that's how I approach all of these things. So I appreciate the question being geared toward practice. Um, practice is important. Yeah. Next roll of the die, 18. All right. How do I help my family and friends understand that I am not lost by becoming you, you? Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think I have to harken back to the last question a bit, which is practice. Um, there are some things that are going to be out of your control if it's your family or your friends, or it could be anyone. It could be um, you know, I feel like every time, I mean, before COVID, I got my hair cut, I was asked what religion I was or what church did I go to? I was asked what church do I go to in Kentucky more than I've ever been asked where do I go, what church do I go to? And uh, oftentimes people are like, well, what on earth is that? And you tell them, um, and they're like, oh, that's not Christian. Uh, and you, you get some judgment there. And, uh, you know, it's easier when it's a stranger, when it's your family and your friends, that can be hard and that can be alienating and that can make you feel like you are less than worthy. So the reminders I would give is that you are worthy. You are loved. You're not alone. You're enough. Um, but what might be helpful is to recognize you may not be able to change their minds about this, but what you can do is to show them through your practice, through how you live your life, just how important Unitarian Universalism is to you and how it is making you a more whole person in your everyday living. Uh, that is the important thing. Um, it's one thing to have a theological debate. Um, you know, my degree before seminary was in theology and basically it's just a history of people uh, arguing and insulting each other and some really glorious insults in books that are required textbooks for theological degrees. And um, where did they get with that, right? Well, they're remembered for the books they wrote. Um, but are you really going to change someone's mind by saying, I am going to demand you accept people have worth and dignity and that I am free in my search for truth and meaning? I, I really don't know. Um, I think if you show people that is the best you can do, it, it may work, it may not work. Um, and so it's, it's not a satisfying answer, uh, but it is an answer that gears you towards showing people. Um, there's a great uh, uh, quote, uh, not quote, there's a great verse um, in the New Testament about by their fruits, you shall know them. I think that applies to Unitarian Universalists as well. Uh, by our fruits, you shall know us. What are we doing to live our faith, especially for those that would denounce us or belittle us? Let's go to number eight, unless I already called that one. Nope, not yet. 
in times of trouble, grief, sorrow, or terrible political news, what practice or reading or person do you turn to? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I mentioned um, Zen practice before, and meditation practice is certainly an important part of this. Uh, but beyond meditation, um, you know, I, I'm not a monk, I'm not living in a monastery, and so that is not my call in life uh, to, to practice continually. Um, I, I certainly ensure that I am doing things that will sustain me and pull me away from uh, whatever's happening in the world or in my life. And not pull me in a way that I ignore it. I want to be clear in that language there. This is not about minimizing what is happening, ignoring it, and uh, shoving it out of your view or your mind. It's practices that allow me to process what is happening that uh, uh, strengthen me in how I'm going to respond. Um, and also sometimes that response is just saying, I don't know. And that's a powerful thing to be able to say. Um, for example, look at the immense political divide in our country and how that divide is growing ever wider. Uh, are you alone going to be able to fix that? No, you're not. Um, but you can certainly foster practices that facilitate strategies in order to engage that. So I, I've talked about running is very important to me, making sure I have that. Uh, poetry reading uh, is great. I'm uh, getting through Charles Wright, which, who is a lovely, wonderful poet, but a difficult poet to read. Beautiful, but difficult. And that is a sustaining practice for me. Um, of course, the meditation is really important. I miss singing in church. That was a practice for me that was really important. Um, but there's certainly a lot more singing um, in my household these days. And uh, just other little things that will sustain me. So poetry is really important for me. Um, and I think that would satisfy the reading question there. Yeah. Um, next question. 10. All right. Why should we love other people? And if we don't, does it make a difference? <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, We're going I think it's important to discern today. what love means here. <laughs> what does love mean? Um, and then there's that song, what is love? Um, baby, don't hurt me. Uh, but, um, uh, really, what does it mean to you to love other people? Um, you know, uh, Christian theology has levels of love and uh, we don't need to get into a Greek lesson here, uh, but there is, there is familial love, brotherly love. There's, uh, you know, there's sort of a spiritual love. There's kind of a, a, a love between friends. There's, 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 and then there's a, a love that it transcends uh, in many ways. Um, I, I feel that that still applies to Unitarian Universalists, a love that transcends. Um, there are people who their actions in this world right now, um, I find are deplorable. I find are uh, evil incarnate. Um, um, and I'm not just talking about a, 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 this politician or that politician. I'm talking about just people in general do things that are awful and terrible, uh, chaotic, and evil. Um, and, and it's, it's hard to go, I love you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, but I think when we focus on our first principle, worth and dignity, uh, that is a gateway to the kind of broad, transcendent love that we're looking at here. It is a radical act to affirm the worth and dignity of someone who has harmed you, who has harmed the earth, who has harmed a community. Um, worth and dignity humanizes them. And... Uh, I think that's, that might be touching on the kind of love here. Not a gushy love, but more of a, a broader love. Um, and does it make a difference? So think, you know, if you hate someone right now in your life, how is it impacting you? 
Is that serving you well? Um, isn't there enough hate on the streets right now? Isn't there enough hate? Um, um, and, and when I say on the streets, I mean, uh, there, there, there are neo-Nazis on our streets protesting. Isn't there enough hate right there? Isn't there enough hate coming from our leaders and coming from um, leaders in other countries? And isn't there enough hate just in general in this world? And does that serve you well? And does that serve our community well? Um, so again, I don't think this is calling for a gushy love. It's calling for a more practical love, <laughs> uh, but it can also be transcendent. What does it look like to affirm worth and dignity to someone who is committing reprehensible acts? And that is a challenge and that's difficult. And I'm not gonna say that's easy and I have it figured out. Um, again, it, like everything, it's a practice. It's really hard. 14. <laughs> on the same topic, how can organized religion unite versus divide us? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, everyone came out swinging today. <laughs> so um, so uh, it, it, it's clear that you, I don't think I need to list how organized religion has divided us, how it continues to divide us, how there are theologies rooted in division. There are theologies um, and, and, you know, uh, any theology that prizes one community over another is certainly fostering disconnection in our world. How does it unite us? Well, uh, look at all of us. Um, we are a community that, um, while many of us are progressively minded, um, our spiritual paths and lives are certainly different. Uh, even our atheists have different ways of being atheist. Um, and some, you know, if you go to a forum online, you'll see atheists debating and tearing each other apart over what is true atheism. Uh, but for the most part, this community has come together, atheist, agnostic, humanist, um, um, theist, Christian, uh, pagan, Buddhist. Uh, you know, we have some Hindu practitioners, people inspired by Islam, um, people inspired by Taoism. People have come together despite these differences and they have decided to make a community week after week. And I think that is the power right there. It's not a step one, step two, step three equals world peace. It's, it's look at what we're doing here and, and certainly lift that up and cherish that. Um, I mean, some people think Buddhism is a perfect religion. No, there are Buddhism, Buddhists that are tearing each other apart, all right? Um, some people, uh, every year in the Holy Land, there are priests that are getting in fist fights over should the door be open in this church or should it be closed? Well, the Orthodox say it should be open. The Catholic say it should be closed. Um, I would hope we would never do that as Unitarian Universalists. Uh, we're certainly imperfect, um, but I think we have the makings of modeling what it looks like um, to have a religion that doesn't foster deeper disconnection. Yeah. I think we can do a couple more. All right, I know I already did that one. Nine? I don't know if I did nope, that Nope, we haven't done that one yet. Uh, how can we modernize our church to ensure its continued existence? <laughs> uh, interesting. Uh, the language there is interesting. Um, so modernize, that, that's an interesting uh, um, way of phrasing it there. Um, and continued existence. So um, I would rephrase this question to be, a discernment of who we really want to be and, and what are the things that we're talking about as far as modernization. Um, 
you know, if you're, if you're talking about a, a uh, Southland experience, I, I would hope this church would say, no, thank you. <laughs> um, if you're talking about um, improving our technology so that we can continue streaming and reaching more people, if you're talking about um, uh, empowering musicians and, and people and, and perhaps commissioning musicians for new music that is you, you relevant, um, but isn't uh, uh, the old uh, German drinking songs turned into Protestant hymns. Um, I certainly think that is possible. Uh, if you are talking about um, reaching demographics that perhaps we don't reach, and this isn't just age, this isn't just race, but reaching people we don't reach, um, there are certainly strategies that we can employ here. The crucial piece of this, now this is a question that we can easily say, just throw money at this, have a plan, have step one, two, three, A, B, C, and we're there. Uh, but the crucial piece is not easily answerable. And it requires every single person to be willing to risk. Uh, uh, you know, churches are sanctuaries. And if they change and modernize, you know, modernize, that can mean, it means something different to me than it means to you or to you or to you or to you, right? So um, um, if we feel that's at risk, we can feel uh, threatened. Our sanctuary might be lost. We might not know what our place is in it. And we have to approach it with curiosity. We have to ask hard questions. Uh, we might have to let go of some things uh, if we don't feel it's appropriate for this community and who we are. Um, modernization doesn't mean looking at, well, the Pasadena church did this. Uh, so let's just copy paste that to UCL. Um, there was a movement to do, uh, it was called um, uh, Soulful Sundown, where uh, they were doing this in uh, California, and a lot of churches, UU churches, copy and pasted that service because it was growing, it was wildly popular in California, and it flopped in other regions of the country. And upon examining that, people realized that it just wasn't part of the DNA of those particular communities where they tried to make it happen. Uh, so it is not enough to copy paste, um, throw out all of the corporate ministry books, the books that say, if you want your church to grow to 4 million members, do this and this and this, it needs to be organic. It needs to be soulful. And it requires every single person to have a part in that. Um, uh, you know, and there are some things where it does require throwing money at it. Um, our budget, there are churches our size that have three times our budget and they're in the same, uh, um, same kind of, um, um, income bracket that the UUA puts together as we are. And so we have to have uh, some hard conversations about uh, how are we funding the initiatives that we want to see in this congregation. Uh, but at the end, it does require a lot of people to make it happen. And so it requires shifting the culture of the church to um, have increased curiosity. Not that we don't, we certainly have plenty of it, but curiosity around change and what that means for us. Um, you know, woe to the minister that says, uh, we're going to modernize everything. <laughs> oh my God. You, you, and I wouldn't want to do that anyway. Uh, but it needs to have some grassroots initiatives that are cross-generational and include people who have been members for decades and people who are new members um, and people somewhere in between that big spectrum from different backgrounds. Um, so yeah, I wish I had an easy answer for you. Seven. Oh no, one. That's not a seven. That's a one. All this right. Last question. <laughs> what do you think the most important thing our children can learn from experiencing this pandemic? Oh, that is a great question to end on. Wonderful. Uh, there are a lot of things that I feel we can certainly not just teach our children, but teach ourselves uh, around this pandemic. Um, and um, 
so there, there's one part of this that I, I won't give you the answers that you need to discern what you have discovered as a parent in this pandemic. And if you haven't discovered it yet, I'm happy to be a discernment partner for you to ask some um, open, honest questions to help facilitate some uh, answers for you of what you've experienced here. Uh, and I think that'll be really crucial is for you to discern that piece because you might have some unique things that you've discovered in this. Um, and really all I can do is speak from my experience and what I've seen um, uh, from my colleagues, my friends, um, and other people that I have um, engaged around this. And, um, you know, the important thing, I think above all else, is that this pandemic has called into mind for many people, I know some people it hasn't, right? Uh, but for many people, it's called into mind an evaluation of what really matters in life. Our culture has been overworked, underpaid, overstressed, 24-7, um, all right? There's a reason why Americans uh, out of any other nation don't use far less of their vacation and paid leave time than any other country. Um, it's bewildering to Europeans why we are like this. Um, and when everything stops, when all of the noise stops, when all of the rush and bustle stops, and it's certainly begun again in many areas, but there was a moment where there was a screeching halt for a large portion of our country. It wasn't all of it. There are some people that have never stopped, and that's a problem. Um, that's a broader cultural problem that we can't fix today. Uh, but when everything stops and all the noise stops, <laughs> sometimes those feelings and thoughts, that existential dread come rushing to the forefront. And people are forced to reckon with their mortality in the face of a deadly disease, um, but also what really matters in your life. And, and I can't tell you what really matters in your life but that category right there is the most important lesson here. And my hope is that this might inspire you to make that change in your life that you have always wanted to make. To take that risk that you know will lead to uh, fulfillment and wholeness in your life. To center your family and your friends, meaningful connections in your life. To stop trying to climb some ladder where, that you'll never reach the top of and instead spend time with the people closest to you. Um, I fear, I really do, that the pandemic won't be the cultural reckoning that many of us hoped for at the beginning. Um, and it's always hard to say that knowing that people are dying through this. Um, but it has certainly been shining a bright light on the significant problems in our culture, that rush and hustle, uh, that overworking, that overcommitment. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I've got for you. Oh my goodness. So, so I, that, that was the last question for today. Uh, it feels like the amount of questions I would have had on, on Sunday morning. Uh, but the rest of the questions that you have will certainly be used to help shape some sermons for the coming church year. So that's how you'll, I'll make sure I make a note of that. Uh, but that's how you'll, you'll know your question is being answered. Um, if you have a question that you were inspired to ask this morning based on something I said, please email it to me. I want to hear questions and I'll try to turn it into a, a sermon topic or something like that. If in general, if you have sermon topic ideas, um, um, I'm certainly open to hearing them. 
Um, and uh, I, I always like the challenge of uh, trying to address some of those things. So thank you all. It has been a joy. I know it's much more fun when we're in person, uh, but um, I, I feel like this was this was good enough <laughs> so, <laughs> for, for our needs. And I, I certainly enjoy this and would be open to doing this another time in the year. If y'all especially enjoy a question box Sundays, um, I'm open to doing two a year if you, if, if you certainly like that.